Germany's social market economy combined free markets with a strong welfare state. It becomes the social democratic party. Yes, we can. Education, education, and education. Hello and welcome to the Centrist Podcast, the podcast of the Centre Think Tank. I am your host, Will Barber-Taylor, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the Head of Membership Development for Centre, and also the author of a fascinating uh, new paper, a new briefing paper, A Second Pandemic, Improving Mental Health Services for Every Generation, the paper we're going to be discussing today, Pushkin Defire. Welcome to the Centrist Podcast, Pushkin. Thank you very much, Will. I, uh, uh, thank you very much for inviting me and allowing me to speak on on, on my paper. Um, I, it's, it's, it's good to be on the podcast. And obviously, for those who potentially saw the event or have heard about it, uh, I suggest you go watch that because uh, it, was, it was just as good to have Will as a host back then. So I'm looking forward to this very much. Yes. Well, it was wonderful to be able to um, host that event. You uh, were brilliant there and I'm sure you will be brilliant in this podcast today. So the first question that I would like to ask is one that I also asked um, during the event. So um, obviously for people who watch the event, you will be familiar with Pushkin's answer. But for those who haven't, I think it's worth going over it. What made you decide to write this particular briefing paper? Oh, so, you know, with that sense that hopefully I'll, I'll have a clearer answer, quite literally. Um, but what it's, it's a very good question. I think a lot of it comes down to personal experience. So um, during the pandemic, I, uh, alongside other personal issues, the pandemic sort of lockdowns rather compounded the, uh, these mental health issues I was having. So I looked to turn to support and there really, really wasn't anything there. And it's been difficult because over the last year I've been trying to find support and thankfully now I've been able to access something. Um, but I'd say that was out of the luck of where I'm based actually, because at the moment I go to my education based in Oxford. And because of that, I think I was able to access some mental health support. And even now it's tricky. So a lot of it comes down to my personal experience and those around me, my loved ones, you know, they've had a lot of mental health difficulties as well. And mm. the issue I find is that um, trying to access this support is, is incredibly difficult. And like I had to wait a year, for instance, and I'd say that the routes I've gone down were routes in more in, in I'd probably say areas that are more advantaged in funding um, when it comes to health spending that are, that are more advantaged areas. But I've had some loved ones in areas that have been sort of neglected by politicians. Um, and I'd say that, you know, the, 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 the quality of services does vary from area to area, depending on where you are. And I'd say I'd have friends who are in less advantaged areas who are still waiting for support. And mm. it's devastating because, I mean, with mental health, it's difficult to keep fighting for yourself. And you do, you have to fight for yourself because it feels like the system's constantly pit against you. You know, you have to wait ages, you have to call people back, you have to make sure people are on the ball. You have to justify how you feel because there is such a high barrier to getting support that if there's any one thing which they think isn't serious enough, it can just, it can prolong your waiting time by ridiculous amounts. So I feel like it's such an injustice and particularly because and I said, I said this in the, in the last podcast, I don't know if you could hear it because of the internet, but the, the, the thing that annoys me the most about mental health as an issue is that just like things like, it's, it's one of those issues like climate change where politicians across the divide agree about the seriousness of this issue, the scale of this issue, the importance of this issue, the importance to act now, and little to nothing is done by anybody. Uh, no meaningful policy, I feel, from many political parties. 
There's no wholesale reform suggested by government. There's a lot lacking in the political parties, the political figures we see now in terms of a bold plan. Mm. So what I wanted to do with this paper was I wanted to set forward a bold, consistent, put together plan that would create something that carry you from cradle to grave in support of your mental health. That would create an economy, an environment, a culture that put health and happiness first. And I wanted to create this joined up system that would take you through life and that was consistent, well-funded uh, and had helped individuals. And it was very uh, uh, catered towards individuals, my main thing, because of the diverse needs of mental health. Um, and I, I just haven't seen this from politicians. And then they'll, they'll play a lot of lip service to the issue, sure, but they do the same with climate change. Mm. And we just don't see the urgent action needed that I, I think, especially after putting this country through three lockdowns um, and, and, a, and a whole year and a, and a half, I think, of restrictions, you know, it's 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 going to take a toll on people, and then you can't, especially kids, when schools were shut down. I'd say that they suffered a lot. You know, as young people, were very sociable. Mm. So they, the government's put people through a lot, and and now they're just sort of, I feel like they're just not addressing the real one of the real issues here: the next pandemic, the mental health uh, crisis. That I mean, was already an issue before the pandemic. So I mean, it's it's just growing now, and I think you know something needs to be done. And mm. my paper was hopefully a step a step in the right direction. Mm. And you mentioned accessibility there, and it's something that comes up throughout uh, mm. the paper, that there is just a complete and utter lack of accessibility mm. for so many people across the country to uh, mental health services. Now, do you think that that's solely down to a lack of funding, or do you think that it's a failure um, by the NHS yeah. and by the government to recognise how much support is needed for so many people? I think I, that's a very good question. I think I'm going to say it, it's a mixture of, of all those things, really. I mm. think, and I wouldn't say the NHS itself fails to see their importance here. I think the, the issue is the NHS is constrained by government funding and expectation. Mm. You know, they have boxes to tick. And, I, you know, I speak to a lot of people within the NHS system um, when I was going through the process. And a lot of them had great sympathy to my issue. But they all recognise that government needs to do more. Um, in funding, in prioritising. I think it's a structural issue as well, is that um, at the moment, the government will, will fund it the bare minimum to, to get the bare minimum results to mm. sort of cut corners. And you can't cut corners on things like mental health. You cannot cut corners because you're talking about people's livelihoods here, people's happiness, you know, their dignity and health. And the government, you know, it, 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 pushes, the, it pushes, pushes the boundaries with, you know, um, trying to slim down the NHS's funding on physical health. But, you know, on mental health, it's 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 atrocious. I mean, and funding plays a part, but I think also it's just a systematic issue of they haven't created a good enough system. It's inaccessible. It's inconsistent. Um, and in my paper, I actually reference um, a parliamentary report on this, and it's just damning. It, it's totally damning. Of uh, I think it was on the CAM system specifically. It's damning because it's just not good enough in terms of its its uh, you know there's perverse incentives in some areas. There's, um, you know, there's there's a structural issue where you, you can't access it because there's such a high barrier to entry. And I think partially that has to do with funding, but I think it's also just to do with the way it's structured. It's so inaccessible. You know, you can go through your GP. That, that can be one point of access, but it's difficult otherwise to get through. And even with your GP, it's, it can be so difficult to keep fighting to get through. Mm. So I think that then, then, and what my paper aims to do is, is to create multiple points of entry and to do it through places where, where, where communities are. And that's through schools, because, you know, most kids go to school, workplaces, because most people are employed. But even, you know, 
looking at ideas of um you know community community hubs for older people mm. and just make it easier through gps for those who perhaps aren't in employment uh and, and you know creating a system where people can access these things easily through their community so it's not a trek it's not a battle it's it's with them they're there that they, you know they're in the environment where they can access support they don't have to go out their way to, to, to find this support um and, and the hope with there is that that would create a consistent support system mm. easy to access that could support you quite easily in your workplace in your school you know you, you we'd create a document where um you know all your known mental health um issues or any support you need would be would be documented and and you know unemployment agencies could have this um you know job centers uh schools could have this universities could have this anyone can access this so that the plan is to create a system where you are supported and it's easy to access and i think the, the issue we have now is just an inconsistency lack of funding and just real structural issues here um and i think that it, it's a whole mixture of things in short and answer mm. your question yeah absolutely and i think something that you raised there is um the ability for information to be passed from uh, different sections to one another and this is something you touch mm -hmm. upon in the paper having a single NHS IT system or a compatible mm -hmm. system that covers both mental health and the social care um, system why do you think that there is a fragmentation of the passing of information related to different aspects of health because I mean for anybody who um, has, has, you know, um, gone to the NHS at times, it is a, an absolutely wonderful institution. But quite often you mm. will have a, a situation where you go to uh, a particular department and tell them you have an issue and they will pass you on to another department. But that other department hasn't been given the information related mm. to that issue. And so you're having to reiterate the story again and again and again, which, of course, can be particularly people uh, suffering from, from mental health issues quite traumatic in of itself having to go over the uh, issue that yeah. they're having again and again and again why do you Absolutely. think more hasn't been done to make the passage of information simpler mm. and much more consistent across the system i think uh, you know it's it, you're right in, in in about the issue that going over these things at time and time again and fighting for your mental health when it's just not good is is it's so difficult and i think the reason why more hasn't been done, I, I you know, I'd, I'd like to hope it wasn't, um, you know, I'd like, as much as I'd like to hope it wasn't to cut corners or to, in the short term, you know, lessen the amount of funding they'd have to give to something. I think that element has to cut, uh, comes from sort of the short term, the sort of incentive of short term uh, gain from the government, I'd, I'd say, in terms of funding. Mm. So if they want to reduce funding or if they want to make sure they're not, you know, throwing money at it, they're going to try to cut corners, try to, um, not necessarily put, put the upfront cost, you know, pay the upfront cost of a, of a long-term investment, because I think governments have an incentive to be more short-term in their, in their balancing of budgets or their decision-making. I think we would benefit from long-term investment in, you know, joining up the system, uh, restructuring it, making it more modernized, um, more linked up. And I, you know, it might, it might take, a, I'm not even sure it would take that much of a massive upfront investment, but I think it sort of it comes from perhaps cutting corners and perhaps mm. it also comes from um a lack of understanding around mm. what needs to be done and i think the issue is that it's such a complicated bureaucratic system and you know with my paper i i, I aim to simplify it to create a, a simplified framework but it's such a and it, and it is when you're when you're researching this when you're trying to find the issues you're trying to look at why things aren't working there's just so many layers mm. and you you face this when you're going through the system itself there are so many layers 
And I think Stephen um, raised this point, Stephen, um, who was in, in, in the event, uh, uh, he raised this point that um, there's, there's also a case he made that there are, there are groups within that, that run each area, that run each of these like layers and these bureaucratic sort of corners. That, that want to keep to keep their little area going and mm. I think it's this sort of this interest in a way to their, their interest their incentive to keep their part going that creates a bit of a layered and, and hard to navigate system because mm. we never get to a point where we need to we need to tackle head on that we need to totally just gut and restructure the system so that we just create a, a simple framework that people can access because that's what people need when it comes to mental health Mm. And I think that, yeah, and that's the aim with the NHS umbrella. We'd, we'd, we'd join up the system um, and it'd make it a lot easier for doctors, nurses, uh, areas of the NHS just to pass information between each other. Um, but, you know, I think there's, I think there's a lot of motivations here, um, whether it's short-term incentive by the government to invest or, um, or just, uh, you know, different areas having their own interests to keep their part going, or it's just a lack of understanding. I think there's a lot of issues here. Um, and I think it's 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 also just partly politicians are scared to take a bold move here. Mm. Um, we have I haven't seen much effort by major political parties, at least, to put forward a radical mental health plan. I, I just haven't seen it to the extent that we need it. They can say they put forward more funding, but you can't just throw money in the system that just doesn't work. And I, and I, I truly believe the current system just isn't fit for purpose. Um, and that's why my paper didn't just go into funding. My paper went into just a total restructure just to make things easier for everybody. Mm. And I think you're right also to pick up on the issue relating to people having a certain um, vested interest into uh, keeping their particular area as it is and, you know, not wanting mm. to see their particular department or, or system disbanded or reformed in any way. And I think you can see that certainly with the attitude that um, some people uh, within Ofsted have to mm. the suggestion of reforming or abolishing Ofsted, which is one of the things that um, you propose in the um, paper as a means of not having the same kind of pressure on mm. um, pupils that often they feel during particular periods, whether they be examination periods or in the run-up mm. to uh, Ofsted inspections. Uh, do you think then that one of the issues that we really have, both in terms of education and in mental health, is that we're focused more on teaching children a very limited and prescribed curriculum that mm -hmm. essentially puts the emphasis on you have to make sure that you pass this particular test, you have to pass this particular examination, and if you don't, oh, well, you know, that says something about you rather than the system as a whole. Do you think that yeah. this is something that we really need to focus on, the way in which the, uh, the system in education doesn't help pupils' mental health because it's more focused on ticking a, a prescribed box of, oh, well, a certain mm -hmm. amount of pupils have passed this particular exam or a certain amount of pupils have got this particular grade, mm -hmm. rather than you know looking at pupils as individuals as they should be looked at? Absolutely. I think that I hit the nail on the head. I, th I think what you have is... And Again, what my paper aims to do is, is in, in, and you're right to mention individuals, individuality. Every individual has, has a diverse need and talent. And where our system misses the mark entirely hmm. is that it creates high pressure tests. You know, this idea, if you fail your GCSEs, how are you going to come back from that? You have to hmm. redo the year, you have to take them again in autumn, but it, it all gets in the way because the system is so streamlined that if you really want to maximize your chances of success, you have to pass these tests first to go, and, and there's so many tests now, you know, um, and I think 
you know, reforms like the ones we saw on the Gove, I think those, I'd say perhaps in my memory are the most significant, mm. where he makes these tests harder. Um, and the enforcement of governments of, of the, of SATs and, and 11 pluses, you know, 11 pluses maybe aren't so much of a thing as they were decades ago, but they're still a thing. I think these high pressure tests that, you know, you feel will, the, will dictate whether you succeed or not in life at such young ages as well. Mm. SATs are at a ridiculously young age. Um, I mean, you know, GCSEs as well and, and, and A-levels, um, I mean, perhaps A-levels less so, but at the same time, you know, you're at the age of 18, mm. you're asking children to decide their future um, on, and I know what their future is. And it, it's such a, and it's such a daunting, I know this because I got my A-levels this year. It's, it's mm. terrifying. <laughs> it really yeah. is terrifying. Um, so I think you're, I think you're absolutely right to point out that there's an individuality. And I think the issue is, and the issue with this whole, you know, we need this box ticking, this teaching to the test that we've created. And I mentioned this in the paper, the creation of teaching to the test, which, you know, um, the NEU survey I, 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 um, I use as a source in the paper points out that most teachers have recognized this as deteriorating the quality of education, actually. Hmm. This whole thing is, is creating a system where you're asking a, a variety of individuals with different talents and wants and needs to fulfill the same test requirements, mm. to, 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 to pass the same talent bar. And if they don't, they're just totally like rejected into a pile. And it mm. does feel like that. I have friends who don't necessarily succeed in it, or have succeeded in their GCSEs rather. Um, and and I, it, if, you know, I'm, they're very fortunate to have supportive families. If you didn't have a supportive family, you'd feel like you're tossed to a scrap heap because it's 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 horrendous not passing these sorts of things so you know in the paper we, we we want to create more coursework around it we want to get rid of um 11 pluses and um sats and a levels again we'd also create more of a coursework element to it mm. but also uh, when it comes to gcses we want to create um we'd want to take the pressure away from the gcses and create separate entrance tests mm. for um for children who want to get into to, to get into college, BTEC isn't it? It's BTEC, yeah. isn't it? The alternative yeah. A. We'd want to look into creating a, 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 a sort of GCSE equivalent to that. So, so the aim of the paper is to essentially move away from teaching to a test, get rid of tests altogether in the early years. Follow mm. the naughty example here, actually, of, of moving away from tests, um, because I feel that they have they in 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 some Nordic countries they have more of a holistic approach you could say perhaps mm -hmm. towards uh, yes. education younger people I think that's a lot you know they're a lot healthier they're a lot happier and I'd say um you know we want to move towards catering for the individual needs of every child through the through the through the coursework through the alternative GCSEs you know through greater through less emphasis placed on exams I think there needs to be more emphasis placed on actually educating our children and mm -hmm. looking after them and again with the creation of with with the integration of CAMs into the education system, would create something where the school could eat much more easily coordinate with social services and with mental health support groups mm. supporting their students, and thus you're creating an environment of, of health. And I, and I say this a lot: health and happiness. And and every every child, every worker, every pensioner is entitled. To, 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 for their health and happiness to be respected mm, and we just don't do enough for that and I think with the education reforms I'm putting forward we 
it would it would it would put their health and happiness first it would put less of a pressure on these tests and we can actually get on with let the teachers educate our children and let children enjoy their subjects because honestly i love history i personally mm. take history a level but my god um, do i sometimes just you lose my love for it in this high <laughs> pressure environment and yeah. you and you lose and i think the environment creates this, an environment an issue where you lose the plot, you lose what you're doing because you're so focused on, oh, I've got to do my personal statement, I've got to tick this box and do these mocks and then do this test and do well in this. And you forget that I love my subject mm. and I, I just forget that sometimes. And it's it's really sad. So yeah, I really, I really think you know you're spot on with it. It's not an individual, the system at the moment doesn't focus on individuality, but for a system to work, you need to focus on individuality. And I think it was uh, I'm not going to quote him correctly, Albert Einstein, he said. Um, you know, you, something along the lines of, you know, you can't expect a fish to climb a tree, but it doesn't make the fish not talented, essentially, mm. is what he said, you know, yeah. everyone has diverse talents. So I think that's a system we'd want to create, because I think if you don't, we don't have that system, and you, you, a lot of people are left behind, and we can't have that anymore. We need to bring everyone with us. Everyone needs to progress with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I can totally emphasize with the, the, uh, the, the history situation, having done it at GCSE, mm. Uh, a level and, and degree level that uh, sometimes you can lose the love from it with the, the way that the system Absolutely. the way that the system is, is is made and another thing that I think is really important relating again to mental health and to education that you make a point of in the paper is greater flexibility for mm. school lessons allowing more mm. um, learning to be done online being able to have more resources online mm. as well and, and and to be able to not have that kind of um, uh, stagnant you have to be educated between this time and this time you have to be there in person mm. approach mm. because of course I mean you know we look back at the the way that the school system that the, the um, national school system was originally started a lot of it was about getting kids off the streets and not wandering mm. the streets rather than actually necessarily wanting to educate them and I think what you put forward here in terms of um, flexibility and giving um, children and, and their parents the ability to have a much more organic relationship with education is really important. And mm, I think that this, do you think this is something that we're going to see more emphasis in years to come when uh, politicians and political parties realise that, well, actually, perhaps we should be focusing more on giving people a greater opportunity mm. to, to learn online and to actually use the internet as a, a, a beneficial thing to, to use mm. its potential for disseminating information, mm. disseminating the school curriculum much more than we, we currently are. I think I, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting one as a whole, because I think at the moment, the government didn't fund online education properly at all over lockdown. Mm. Um, and it's a crime that hasn't really been addressed, I feel enough. Um, they were slow on the, um, from, from what I, from what I've read there, they were slow on the, from what I've seen the figures actually, they were slow on the, on the release of free iPads and computers mm-hmm. for children. I think in terms of internet, there was, you know, there needed to be some sort of infrastructure rollout for mm-hmm. areas that are behind in good internet. And I, I, for one in lockdown, I spent it in Warrington um, with my girlfriend because that's where I, where I usually live. And the internet there just isn't, isn't the same level as Oxford. I mean, look, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I was at the last event in Warrington, the internet was, was atrocious. <laughs> Uh, here I am in Oxford, and, and I've, I'm easily able to access super fast Wi-Fi in a lot of places I go to a lot more than anywhere when I'm up when I'm up north. And I mm. think I'm not saying as a whole this is an issue of north versus south as such. I think every area is, is very unique, actually, uh, not unique. It, it faces their struggle in terms of 
support. I think there are some areas in London which needs more support. So I think to look at it as a you know polar issue of north versus south can be damaging. But I think to an extent, there's there's an issue of um, the government just didn't fund these things properly on the whole. There, there wasn't enough support for children in online learning as it was. So I think people have a very negative view of online learning. They think that it can't be the same. It can't be as good. I disagree. I think if you put the resources there um, and, and you put the support there and the government doesn't just, you know, half-assed put forward ideas uh, and put forward um, online education and then, you know, as soon as it's over, just forget about it. And then another lockdown comes and they have to do it again, but they haven't, they didn't do it right the first time. So again, there's not the infrastructure. If you have the infrastructure and you have the support, then I think it would be different. But I think, you know, politicians have, have gotten their head around that online education in the same. So mm. I don't think we'll see a move towards online education, perhaps to create more flexible education. I don't think we'll see a move towards more flexible education. If anything, I'm worried that we're going to start seeing a move towards um, the government trying to you know, forcefully get back to pre-COVID levels of mm -hmm. uh, A-level grades, GCSE grades, achievements because of the grade inflation. I think that's going to actually cause more damage. Mm. But um, I'll tell you one thing, Will, um, that if, you know, you've said it in, in the future years, in the future years, I'm going to be pushing this paper like crazy. And in the future years, I'm not going to stop fighting mm. for more flexibility in school lessons. So yeah, I'm not, you know, not to be overambitious, but I, I'll tell you one thing, I'm not going to let it go quiet. So yeah. Um, there will be there will be some people definitely fighting for this still. So I'm not I'm not going to let this issue go away, and that's for sure. And I think um, politicians in Westminster need to be more aware that you know grassroots groups have a lot of power, and I'm confident in centre's ability to push for things. So I'm not going to let this issue go away. I think it was a great travesty what's happened with education. So fine, while you know establishment politicians may not be so willing as such now to embrace more flexible education, it's it's something I feel very strongly about. I, I mean, mm. if you look at inpatient care, actually. I was reading about this and I think it was, again, it was in the, um, I believe it was in the uh, parliamentary paper I was reading. Mm. Um, and it says it's just not good enough. They, they just can't access the same level of education. They're behind. And that's not fair because of their mental health issues. They're going to be behind. It's going to make it worse. These, you know, we need access, better access to education. Uh, and and that, that really sounds like an obvious thing to say, but I'm passionate about this. And mm. every child, as I've said before, deserves the right to health and happiness. They deserve the right to their education, regardless of who they are, where they come from and what their mental state is. They, they deserve the right to access that. So for me, it's very important. So while, I don't, while, I, while I'm worried actually I might go in the opposite direction, I for one will not stop fighting for, for our children to be educated properly and fairly and to be respected in their health and happiness. And I, I think you're certainly right that um... Uh, sometimes uh, the government might uh, negate the impact that groups like uh, Centre have on being able mm. to, you know, generate a, a, a particular support for an issue and to organise people to, uh, to campaign for that issue. And I think what's also interesting as well is, and you touch upon it in the paper, is that it's not just um, children who often, often uh, have issues with uh, mental health uh, problems but it's also adults as well adults who are working mm. who are in the workplace and one of the things that you focus in on is that um, businesses really need to step up to help their employees uh, mm. if they have mental health issues because not only is it going to be helping the individuals but overall it's going to be helping the businesses because if they're not dealing with the issue then it's just going to become worse and worse and worse and have an, an impact on them running their organization do you think that businesses will do that without any 
intervention or do you think that there needs to be quite a uh, a, a firm intervention to ensure that businesses do you know help their employees rather than just hoping that they will help their employees i think people are very quick to to demonize businesses and i you know i i'm not i'm not going to go as far as that i'm not going to go as far as some will, will go in terms of mm. saying that businesses don't do anything i think I'm very well aware of businesses that do a lot for their employment. Actually, I work at um, I work at a nightclub. I won't mention the name because I'm, you know, I'm not sure how that plays with the, uh, with the with the podcast rules and everything. <laughs> um, but I I work at a nightclub at the moment, actually, uh, part time uh, alongside my studies, and you know, it's good money and everything. But I I found that my when I speak and I communicate with my manager, they're very understanding about my mental health issues. So I have I have personally, and my friends have very good experience with mental health in their work environment but I also know that it's definitely not the same across the board and companies are limited in what they can do Mm. Um, but also some companies don't step up to the mark and I think Amazon is really important to call out in this in how they treat their employees it's atrocious and it's well known to be absolutely abysmal and there's a lot of companies that do that and they totally disregard their employees physical health let alone their mental health so I think um, yeah, I think I think that 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 there's two there's, there's two elements to what I want to tackle with the workplace reforms. Um, actually, maybe three, and I think sort of what the, the one of the elements was that we make sure that contracted out employers and those who are usually forgotten in these plans and or, or usually you know not given the same rights as their fellow uh, directly employed employees or you know they're self-employed, they'd be able to get support and they'd be able to access um some government subsidized support um you know whether it's through their the business they contracted to plan or they'd be able to access referral um training so there was that element it was making sure that those people weren't left behind it was also giving businesses that do want to help the resources to help and then making sure businesses that aren't stepping up to the mark do step up to the mark and i think with collective bargaining and workers on company boards you know i i i've said this in in the, in the again in the event that we had I, I get if some people are going to think it's a left loony idea or they're going to pitch it as some left wing idea. It's, it's yeah. not. I don't think it is that left wing. I think when businesses and workers start talking, and I'm not saying they need to fight, there needs to be this, you know, this red flag uh, revolution and the workers need to take over their companies. What I'm saying is that companies and workers just need to talk because these two groups know the most about their business. And I think there's just a lack of that. I think there's a lack of understanding between employees and employers. I think when employees can negotiate with their employees through collective bargaining legally binding agreements which can be enforced you know we'll have an anonymous complaint system to create mm. the enforcement for businesses that don't step up to the mark but when they can negotiate and talk with their businesses i think they'll find a lot of the common interest mm. i think businesses and employees share a lot of interest in wanting good work environments where they can be productive and because that makes the employer ha- happy and the employee happy because you've got a happy employee who works harder, you've got greater profits for the business, and you've got a happy employee, you know, employee base. Mm. So I think uh, there's, there's, it's actually important, and it's a shame because I think we've had a productivity crisis in this country for a while, and you know, there's, there's no one thing, but I think a lot of it can come down to that. There's a common interest, but just you know, companies need to listen to their employees a lot more because mm. I think a collective bargaining create a situation where companies that don't step up to the mark. Will 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 be forced to step up to the mark, and but I think there there won't be too much an issue. There won't be a left wing revolution because it's not like that. It is there will be a grown up discussion, and the right thing will be done. And I think mental health is synonymous with strengthening workers' rights. Um, and I think it, it won't be in a way which harms business. It will be in a way which benefits everybody because everybody's interests to make 
sure their workers are happy um, because that just creates a better workforce. And I think the sooner we achieve that, the better. So I, I don't think this is a, a particularly radical plan, actually. Mm. I think it's done in Germany, it works. It's done in many other countries and it works. I think this is a plan to give to give companies that want to, to, to help their workers the resources, but also to get those who don't step up to the mark to step up to the mark and strengthen workers' rights. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's something that, you know, we really have to uh, think about, isn't it? The comparisons of us with uh, other countries where, you know, they have done these things mm. and it, it's not resulted in some complete another collapse. So, you know, oh, the exactly. critiques that is that are often sort of levelled at things like this just really do not hold water when you compare, absolutely. you know, um, the United Kingdom with other company, uh, with other countries rather. And mm. there's something um, that I think that is also particularly interesting um, about uh, the paper and it's that you don't just sort of end with discussing mental health conditions with uh, people who are in work but you tackle uh, potential mental health problems particularly loneliness with those Mm. who are uh, pensioners those who are older people as well why did you think it was particularly important to make sure that the paper included um, a, a, a section of it that dealt with um, loneliness, particularly in relation to those who were older and, and, and to the elderly. I think, you know, we're approaching, and we are an aging population actually, um, and while that has its economic strains, it also means we, we need to focus on ensuring that those of old age have the care and support they deserve. Uh, but I also believe that very strongly, um, the care home crisis, and I will call it a crisis, mm. has been overlooked too often. Um, I don't think care homes are fit for purpose. I don't think the current system is fit for purpose because I think at the moment we have severe levels, and, and, I, and I quoted this in the paper, severe levels of mental health issues amongst our elderly. And they, it, it's just, and, and it, it upsets me because, you know, if you've got an elderly friend or your grandparents, you know, you want to be able to trust that you can put them in a system which will look after them after the mm. years they've contributed to this country's economy, the years they've contributed to our society and culture and life. Every single person has contributed and worked hard throughout their lives. Can't, and I, and I can't say that under this system, we can guarantee them the support they deserve. And I think, and I think part of this will need to be, um, you know, rolling out Wi-Fi infrastructure and internet infrastructure mm. to, to support them being able to connect with their communities. Um, I think we need to invest more in transport. I think we need to invest more in, in community uh, events. I think we need to have a nationalized, free at the point of use, social care mm. uh, system that is intergenerational. And I think, you know, and also a, a guaranteed minimum income for workers that also comes in the form of a guaranteed income top-up system for those over the age of 65, uh, essentially guaranteed pension system that's more generous and means that you don't have to tick boxes to get it you you have access to that i think dealing with the financial social and care element of these things and giving them purpose through the intergenerational care because the studies after study that shows that it gives these these older people these older pensioners sort of purpose and life and happiness to do all this the policies that i put forward in my paper is to make sure that at the end of life, at the end of, sorry, working age, you know, when you retire, we can as a country guarantee you safety and Mm. happiness and care, because just like any other level that I've addressed here, it's so important that our grandparents and us when we're older, you know, we deserve care, that, Mm. you know, the, the, the purpose of the state 
I feel a big purpose of it is to, you know, educate the young, look after the elderly and, and support those who in need in between. You know, I think it's so important. I just think at the moment we fail horribly to do this. So I think we need, we need a radical overhaul of the system. And I don't shy away from the word radical. and I don't shy away from radicalism in this paper. Mm. And, and while I think a lot of the radicalism is based on what works already, I think just to be, just to want things to work in such a broken system is in itself a radical ideal. And I think that's what makes this paper so, I feel, bold, because mm. it just wants things to work. And it wants things to work based on evidence. It's not calling for... Um, you know, like you said earlier, left-wing overhaul because these things work, you know, collective bargaining works in other countries. And and my our plan for pensions isn't creating, you know, uh, an idealistic, idealistic system. It's, it, it creates a system that does take care of our older people and actually tackles the issue of loneliness. And it costs money not to. Mm. Um, Alzheimer's, which is, you know, onset by poor mental health issues, largely, um, uh, you know, there are other issues, obviously, but mm-hmm. mental health plays a role in that. For instance, that costs, you know, tens of billions to the UK, uh, pounds to the UK society, tens of billions of pounds. And it's expensive not to deal with the crisis. So even if you're just a cold-hearted conservative or Labour politician who just does not, you know, who doesn't, who, who just wants to balance the budget or something, there is just such a good, it's horrible to look at this in a cold-hearted way, but there's even a good cold-hearted reason to deal with this. It's expensive not to deal with this crisis. Um, and I think it, it, you know, wanting, I just, I just want to be able to say to my children, I did something to guarantee that I can say to you that you will be taken care of at old age. I want a country where we can say you will have a good and healthy education system. Mm-hmm. Your, your health and happiness will be put forward, put first in our economy, and you will be looked after in old age. And I, and I, I couldn't say that to if I had children in ten years, I couldn't say that to them now. And mm-hmm. I hope that that changes because I, I just don't think the care system is good enough, and that's. Sorry, that was a very long answer to, to the point. I, I think that we need to we need to deal with it. I'm very passionate. I obviously I, I yes, care a lot. Yes. Um, but we, we need to deal with it because it's it's a it's a genuine genuine national shame that we 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 can't guarantee our elderly a good care system. It was a very long answer, but it was a very good answer as well. Uh, we are coming towards the end of the podcast, so I'm going to have to ask you one. Uh, final question. And it's in fact a, uh, a question that I asked uh, Torin uh, quite a while ago and that tripped him no. up slightly. Um, oh. the, que- <laughs> the question is, uh, of oh, course, no. related to education, but the question is, uh, if you could have anything uh, as, a, as a school lunch, uh, anything uh, for school lunch, what would you have? What one meal would you choose uh, to have as your uh, school lunch if you were suddenly catapulted back into school and, and Torin asked uh, whether this had to be something that had applied to all children or, or, or just yourself so you can have two separate answers if you like one uh, just for yourself and, and oh, one for uh, <laughs> for the <laughs> for wider children yeah wow okay well um whew, I don't know I you can't I I, I Torin's warned me about this to you you can't ever get the answers right um honestly I am um, for myself, I'd say, um, oh, you know, you know, a meal I really enjoy is rice pudding at school. Mm-hmm. And that sounds really sad, I know. Yeah. But I, I genuinely enjoy the rice pudding at school. <laughs> so if I could have that again, I would, because that was a good rice pudding, honestly. Um, that on, uh, that brings back memories thinking about that, actually. I'd love that rice pudding again. So yeah, that's something I'd pick personally, rice pudding, as sad as that sounds, but very good. Um, for children as a whole, 
Um, goodness me. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick tiramisu. I can tell you that much. Um, or any desserts that I'll call them. Uh, so we're just gonna avoid that. Um, perhaps you know. Uh, I think. Do you know? I I I'm partially Lebanese. Actually, my 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 father's Lebanese, uh, and I feel very strongly about the cuisine there. I love Lebanese cuisine. And you know what? I, you can't fault. I know you can't fault me on this one because I'm. I, I have good <laughs> good intent with this. I think um, I would love kids to try more diverse cuisines. And I think, mm-hmm. due to my personal bias, I would love them to try something on Lebanese. Maybe something as simplistic as you know, uh, a good you know, made by a, a Lebanese chef. You know, like a, a mm. falafel and hummus. Something as simple as yeah. that, just to get them interested. Because I think that's. It's really important that kids try some, you know, diverse food stuff. And I think Lebanese food, you just can't go wrong, honestly. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to settle with that one. I'm going to settle yeah, with yeah. that one. I, th- I think that was certainly a uh, <laughs> a better answer than tiramisu. I'm sure Torin won't enjoy listening, <laughs> <laughs> listening to this back when he gets a chance to listen to it. Um, thank you for coming on the, the podcast, uh, Pushkin. If people want to find out more about the paper, if, if people want to read the paper, where should they go to read the paper? And if people want to find out more about you, where should they go to find out more about you? Good question. Um, if you want to read more about the paper, you can always check out Centre's uh, Twitter page, which I follow very closely, obviously. Um, Centre Think Tank, uh, capital C, capital T, capital T. Um, so you can find the the paper there, or you can go on our website. I think it's centrethinktank.com, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go on the website, just check out our policies, uh, sorry, rather publications, uh, and you'll find that uh, as the most recent publication, um i'd give it a read uh personally i think it was a very good paper um <laughs> i don't say so myself but uh you know and, and you can watch the events on there as well we had an event prior and obviously again thank you for watching the podcast if you want to find me find me on twitter uh, at pushkin defire um uh mainly you could just find me there i tweet occasionally um i do find that i've become a bit of a, a center think tank simp account but you know what can you do it's a, it's, a, it's a good group. I enjoy my, I, I have good friends there. You know, I, I enjoy the group there and they've done a lot of my papers. So uh, happily, a to think tanks in account. So yes, find me there, find my paper where I've said and uh, I'll see you around. Brilliant. Thank you so much again for hosting me, Will, um, and, and, and letting me talk about my paper. I think it's very important and I, I really appreciate it. Very good hosting. Yeah. And uh, thank you everyone for watching this. Thank you.